0: This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. We help you spend less time selling and more time advising by turning you into a trusted subject matter authority with a growing audience of adoring followers who do the advertising for you. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more.
1: Welcome to the quantum growth podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership strategy and practice management. Now here's your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton.
0: Welcome to another episode here of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. I have a repeat offender here, good friend, colleague, partner, just a good all-around dude who spells his first name the right way, J-O-N, like I do. So, Mr. John Randall, would you say hello to the audience, please?
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, John. It's great to be on these. Love sharing and insights and value with all your listeners.
0: No, love it, John. And for those of you who might have caught John on one of our past episodes, this man has a lot of energy. Prepare for an energetic, presentation today or conversation today, I should say. So with that being said, as John and I were thinking about what it was we wanted to go a little deeper into here today, one of the things as John and I have started to partner together, and just again, to frame things out, everyone, I know John for I think 20 plus years, Mr. Randall, was responsible for hiring or part of the hiring process back then when John came on board. We've become you know very good friends over the years. And it's interesting how the tide has changed some. Now John provides some coaching to me personally, as well as my team as well, and some of the folks in Cutton Consulting Group and our coaching organization. So as we've been coaching other advisors jointly, and while John does the heavy lifting there, and as he's been able to get under the hood of my planning practice, one of the things that keeps coming up over and over again from advisors is, well, how do we create scale in the practice? How do we grow quicker, efficiently with systems and processes? What does the structure look like? And how do you actually incorporate that in your practice in a way that the advisors on your team are feeling good about their future and what, what's in it for them from an economic perspective and from a personal growth perspective. And John's been able to bring amazing insights to our team. So with that, John, maybe you could talk a little bit about, about just that, about how to, how to think about scaling and what you're seeing out there in the marketplace.
1: You know, scaling comes back to, to growth. And it has just been explosive growth I've seen with practices so far this year. And inevitably, a lot of you will run into, if you haven't already, the best problem to have, there's too many clients, there's too much needs for those clients, and there's just not enough capacity to help them. So staying ahead of their capacity is really, really important. As you have these great problems to have of growth and attracting new people to, to, to come into your practice and work with you, whether it's through CPAs or whether it's through just introductions from your existing clients. It's happening at a rapid pace. And I, I think this last year, the advisors that have been active are attracting more than ever. And this first six months of the year, I've seen just record-setting numbers with, with people I work with. It's really awesome to see. And look, a lot of the competition still dormant out there. So there's still time to go. So keep hitting the afterburners if you're not seeing that growth. I think the rest of this year... There's still going to be an opportunity. A lot of your big firms are not going back to the office till September. Their productivity and their abilities are not quite what they used to be. So go after it out there. As you have this good problem to have, that's where, where John has been such a great pioneer for all of us to see how do you really scale and grow a business? Gosh, it was half a life ago for me, John. I was 22 years old, 22 years ago. When uh, you showed me the ropes of this business, and I remember you you did my first CPA meeting for me, and that was awesome to see, but it's awesome to see where where you have grown through this, and it's all about scale. It's about how do you build capacity to service clients. Now, every practice is different. You don't have to have an army of 100 people on your team. You can have a lean and mean team, but you've got to be thinking of capacity. And a big mistake I see, John, when it comes to the organization structure to scale is people take more of a a lateral or a horizontal approach instead of what I like to think of as a vertical approach to build scale. So a lateral or vertical approach would be, gosh, let's bring in another advisor to our firm to help us and we'll get somebody to assist them or depending on productivity levels, we'll have two advisors and we'll hire one sort of assistant to work with them. Well, if you repeat that over and over what a lot of practices do, they might do this a dozen times. It really dilutes your brand because you've got these disjuncted kind of mini teams that these micro teams kind of develop within a large group and there's no consistency to what's being done. That's not the best scalable way because it runs into problems down the road. There can be compliance issues. There's lack of consistency of just pricing the quality of products or advice that's being delivered. It really is a difficult way to grow. Whereas a vertical method is really scaling out a way that you can build with advisors and build teams, but do it in a more of a vertical fashion. And one of my favorite ways to think about this is more in departments, like a corporation. If you're going to build a business here, think about it like a business. That's one of the most impressive things that John Cunton has done here. He thinks of his business like a business. And you look at a corporation, there are departments and departments Run whatever it is, whether it's financial planning, whether it's insurance products, whether it's investment products, depending on your practice makeup, you need people to leave these certain areas. You might need people to work in marketing. You You might need people to process business. Whatever these departments are, if you think of it in that fashion, you can scale. You can hire people in each of these departments and build up quicker. And as your advisors plug in, you should really think of them plugging into this awesome system where you've got things built. You've got a planning person. You've got an investment person. You have got people that can run all these things. And it's easier to hire people when they have a smaller number of responsibilities and they're not the jack of all trades. So it's really worked from what I've seen. And and John, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because you're the pioneer for a lot of us in this method.
0: No, you are too kind, Mr. Randall. A lot of things that I wanted to comment on. You said a lot there and some pearls of wisdom. One, completely agree. It's been really interesting. We're having our best year ever in our own practice. And it seems like a lot of advisors are just organically and inorganically, but really the organic growth has been crazy. And I've got to think it's COVID related and you know, lots of money in motion from people on pause for their work or just more time to think about it. But it really has been a good year to be a financial advisor. So that, that's been nice, I think, for all of us. And then I, I love what you're talking about, John, when you're talking about this kind of horizontal methodology to build out a team versus this vertical methodology. As I've gotten to know a lot of successful advisors in the industry, I completely agree with what I think I'm hearing you say, which is there are a lot of advisors that are growing horizontally And really what it means is they're adding other successful advisors, they're kind of bringing their business in, folding it together, and there's certainly some some scale opportunities there and shared expenses and real estate technology, receptionists, so on, etc., but really what it is, is it's kind of the old school eat what you kill method. And basically it's like a, like a lot of accounting firms are set up that way, right? Where although there's one name of the firm, everybody's doing things their way and it can certainly taint the brand from what I've seen in the marketplace, it also to the owner operator of the business or the owner operators of the business isn't usually the most profitable way to run the business as well. The margins get kind of slim. Yes. And then in that vertical business, which is really the model that I run, and I, I know that you know that, which I think is a harder business to run, Yes. But, right? But when done correctly, you've got one culture one vision, clearly everyone does things a little bit differently in some circumstances, but I like to call it the kind of that's how we do it here process, right? So we have a way that we do things, a way we deliver advice, a way we deliver service, a way we price our, our investment advice as an example. And within say 80 or 85 percent, working with one advisor in the firm versus a different advisor of the firm, 85% of the work that's being done would be the same or feel very similar to a client, although the style of delivery and there might be some some slight differences. So couldn't, couldn't agree more. And I think that's what we should do today, John, is let's focus on this vertical structure. And the one question I had for you, you alluded to this a little bit before, you talked about capacity issues. And I get this question a lot, and I know you do as well. Like, What do you find in a in a real comprehensive practice kind of that Ritz-Carlton experience, taking really good care of clients. What do you find is that magic number? Is there a magic number of how many clients a good competent advisor with a reasonable staff behind them can serve in a, in a Ritz-Carlton kind of fashion?
1: I always learned from the Moss Adams study that did a lot of great research on our industry. They always used to say, the number was 250, 250 clients an advisor can serve, but If you look at that and peel back what that 250 meant, there's probably 100 clients that are sort of disengaged that aren't getting a lot. There's probably 40 or 50 clients that are really engaged, getting a whole bunch, and there's 100 stuck in the middle. The best producers that I see have really taken the approach of kind of the 100 or less That if if what you're saying, John, if it's going to be like roll out the red carpet, Ritz-Carlton service for multi seven figure clients, plus the best of the best in your practice, yeah, it's probably a hundred or less because these people need more. And if you're going to be everything to a few, you can have a much more profitable business. Like the Ritz-Carlton, there's only what, about 32 in America, as opposed to like the Fairfield Inn where there's four or 500 in America. And it's just a high volume shop. But Let's just crank as many out as possible. So that's probably a big capacity issue right there is is how you're going to run your business. Are you going to be everything to a smaller group and have a Ritz-Carlton component within your practice Or are you just by accident creating the the Fairfield Inn? You know, I use this analogy within the Marriott Corporation because I had a business coach about 15 years ago take me through and look at some other kind of business that it's possible to run different levels of client experience within one corporation. And I see that a lot in practices that you talk about segmentation is a, is a popular term that, hey, a, a quality advisor having 100 clients really run it like the Ritz Carlton, that's a great model. I think a lot of you listening are going to have the need to have a fear filled in. And that's a great spot to have maybe a junior, a newer advisor, really run almost like a call center that a lot of the big firms have. That's your scale where it's very efficient to run. There's not a lot of effort and energy. But for a lot of you listening, you want to take it to another level. The best of the best I see, they're like max 120. They're like 100 clients they're working with. They're doing everything with them. And I've seen a lot of practices double just by going deeper at their top 100 and either letting go of the rest or leveraging other people on their team to work with the others.
0: Completely agree. And I think inside of our business, we call them beachhead leaders in our business, our, our largest, most experienced advisors. And in our business, they're usually equity partners, work with under a hundred clients, and they also have some leadership responsibility as well. And that next tier of client advisor, or as you call it, junior advisor, I call it relationship manager, generally serve about 150 right, to 175 clients. But these are folks that, while still getting an amazing experience, are not all million-dollar-plus clients, right? right? And then from there, we we recently, as you know, built out a service center. We yeah. call it our virtual planning team to be able to serve more of that mass affluent client that needs and the the level of touch and that rich carlton experience doesn't necessarily need to be there just yet until they grow into it so let's get a little granular john i think we're completely aligned i'm an advisor listening in i want to start to create more scale i want to start to create more systems and processes as the business is growing. What what do you do? Is it finding the right advisor? Is it making sure that he or she has the right system to run, that there's a process that's been kind of test? How do you compensate those advisors? I know I'm hitting you with a bunch of questions at once, but maybe you can just handle that in any order you can remember.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. This is exactly the things that come up with the, the, the practices that I work with that really want to grow. They say, gosh, how do I really do it? Where do I hire next? What should this thing look like? And how the heck do I compensate people? So we'll we'll go through all of these. I would say the biggest capacity crunch of most practices, if not all, is the advisors is who is servicing clients and that capacity crunch is going to continue and it's going to get you know worse what an incredible problem for have uh, to have for those of you that are going to be around the business the amount of advisors in the next 10 years is expected to be half cuz John for 22 years I felt like the youngest guy at every financial conference I've ever been to. <laughs>
0: join join the club man. I, I used to feel that way. At 40 at 48 years old, I not not so much anymore. I'm starting yeah, There's to, there's not many
1: younger advisors in the business. There's a lot of older advisors that are going to be getting out. So the number of advisors that can serve clients is less. And look at what's happening in America. The need is growing like crazy. And the trend of people retiring, there's a big trend in the last year of people retiring, you know, if they have the means in their late fifties. And as you said, they're contemplating, what am I really doing here? I have the money. Do I need to grind this work thing? And it is an increased need and a decreased number of people to help. So advisor is going to be your biggest capacity crunch. So that's usually the first place that a lot of you listening should be considering. And inevitably, a lot of you probably have too many clients on your plate that kind of slow you down here, which is the number one place to start.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. Proud Mouth. Tired of chasing potential clients? We help you spend less time selling and more time advising by amplifying your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down instead. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more. Be your own loud. I did a call earlier this week with an advisor out in California who sought me out, I think he listened to either the Michael Kitsis podcast I was on or the Mindy Diamond podcast. I forget which one, but shot me a really nice email and asked for 15 minutes of my time. And I I wound up giving him 45 minutes earlier this week. And his exact question was around, I mean, his words, not my words, where I'd like to emulate the kind of practice that you've built. And his questions were around developing his junior advisors. And what's interesting is on the the video conference I had with with this advisor, he had what I'll call his chief operating officer on as well. And what was really interesting, John, is the advisor went on to describe his practice and basically exactly what we're talking about. He had about 300 million uh, of AUM, four or 500 clients, and his advisors weren't up to par, to use his words, in being able to serve those clients the way he hoped for. And he was so busy serving those clients on his own. And what was interesting is he didn't come out and say that, and I kind of led the direction, the conversation that way, and his COO Who was a she interjected and was very quiet listening and basically said yeah that's the problem john these advisors are not developed where they need to they're good but they're not up to snuff and the senior advisor was having a hard time letting go and feeling like these clients would be well served and what's interesting is it's like a dog chasing its tail the problem is that advisor is so busy being an advisor that he has two fairly competent advisors on his team, but he doesn't have the time to actually get those advisors developed, and he doesn't have a training program. And quite frankly, by the end of the call, what we agreed on was that he doesn't know how to do it. He's never developed advisors. He's never had that skill set, And he closed, and I didn't want it to be self-serving advice, but he basically said, well, what would you do if I was you? And what I said was, I would go hire a coach. It wouldn't be you to develop your two junior advisors. And I would outsource. I'd find a who, who can do that. And I were, if I were you for yourself, I'd go hire a leadership coach Mm -hmm. who could help you become a better leader and start to build those skills. So when you go from two advisors to four or four to eight, you'll have the ability to build this Culture and this vision and this mission-based organization that people will have a a vision to actually follow. Sorry to go on that kind of uh, down that rabbit hole a little bit, but as you're talking, perfect example. Yeah, I I,
1: I mean that's the conundrum right there that everyone has. That okay, I know I need advisors, so bring them in, and then yeah, then they're not developing, they're not getting any leadership. Yep,
0: and this is where advisors go wrong, John. And then I'll throw it back to you. I apologize, but is Advisors don't look at their people as people to invest in. Mm. As an example, Mm. my firm spends over $200,000 a year on coaching for our advisors, for our staff. We have a budget for that stuff. And if you're now a million dollar, a million and a half or $2 million practice, and you want to go to four, and you think you're going to get there without developing your people, or that you're going to miraculously find that time, or, that's, or develop that skill set, you're going to be probably that, that dog chasing its tail. Why not make an investment in a reputable coach who you know has the time, energy, and you can pay that person to actually develop the people the way you want to see them developed?
1: Yeah, I see a lot of businesses in general, and it certainly applies in our industry, are investing about 2 to 3% of their top-line revenue and help in exactly this area and help developing people and help with coaching on many different areas and multiple coaches. I mean, I work with three different coaches myself. I find tremendous value in it. And you nailed it. There's a lot of help in here to outsource some of development, to get some help on how to be leaders. I mean, that, that's the... Interesting thing for a lot of advisors, no one ever was taught how to be leaders. I mean, we all learned how to do advisor stuff and this less, some of you spent time doing some kind of leadership. It's, it's kind of a unlearned thing. And if you're trying something new, it's like the first time you're advisor, you probably weren't very good at it. (laughs) So, Yeah,
0: yeah, I get asked the question a lot. What's the key to, to KWM success. And I always say it's leadership. It's it's, I was blessed to have amazing mentors and get into a leadership role that ultimately got me prepared without knowing it wasn't the reason I I got that experience but it's become one of the the biggest assets if not the biggest asset of the firm. So anyway, John, back back to you. I think you're I think we're right where, where we want to be. You're talking about the need to develop advisors and then I think you were going to talk about the process from there.
1: Well, what one aspect on just investing in people, I want to touch on. Look, this, this is a mistake I made as an advisor as I built my practices, is a lot of you highly productive advisors out there. That really crush it and produce a lot of revenue on your own. I thought about, oh my gosh, it's a waste of time to meet with my team. I need to be meeting with clients. I need to bring a new business. Period. That's my role. Anything else, I'm getting off my plate, I'm outsourcing, I'm hiring someone to do. And I missed early on in, in my career that how important it was to invest in people. You know, my time. And look, a simple way you could do it with someone on your team is just let them watch you in action. Let's let an advisor Watch you in your client meetings. Watch what you do with other people to learn. Invest some time with them. Maybe just have an hour a week dedicated with them. Maybe... Take them to lunch once a week, just so you have some dedicated time to talk. It's really important because that investment can have exponential returns. So we're talking about scale and we're talking about capacity. You need your people to be able to handle more, specifically your advisors, whether that like top tier 100 client Ritz-Carlton level, or if they're like that Marriott handling 250 clients, or if they're like the Fairfield and call center advisor handling four or 500 clients or or events, that's their development is going to be key. So don't underestimate your investment is really important in your people, time, energy, coaching, outsourcing. It's really, really important to do. So keep that, keep that in mind. As you scale this out, a lot of people ask, okay, I can get some advisors on the board. I get, I got to lead them. And then it leads to some other gaps too around just the organization and where else do you hire? What's the strategic hires that come after that? And you really got to think about keeping your advisors productive. What's all the things in their plates that hold them back? I I have this exercise I take advisors through. I call it the passion and productivity exercise. And they basically organize all the stuff in their plates and categorize it like clients, A, B, C, D. So most advisors, most passionate, the favorite things they do, the most productive that produces the most revenue is meeting with their top and favorite clients everyone's top and there's probably a whole bunch of c and d stuff that a lot of you listening shouldn't be doing that should be coming off your plate and that's where you really want to think about your hires is what are departments that could be formed that could take things not only off your plate but other advisors plates that would keep them productive and tinkering with investments is a great time suck (laughs) a lot of advisors, especially smaller producers, get all caught up in. Yes, it's important, but you as an owner and a driver of growth in the business probably shouldn't be your number one thing. You could have somebody else do that, or a collaboration of a committee of some people do this periodically to keep the growth driving. Processing business, planning, like all these little things that suck up time that's where you want to build out departments. So I see a lot of common departments is, of course, marketing, anything related to client service, which I often see financial planning as part of that because they're very tied together. Products, whether it's investments or insurance or maybe you have a, a department for, for each of those could occur those are some common ones I see. so as you start to think about those departments, something I mentioned earlier it's it's easier to hire people that do less. So look back at the old McDonald's model. they were able to hire people to do a small amount of things in the chain of making a hamburger. They didn't do every single thing. They did like one thing and they were really good at it. And they could replace people quickly if they had to, to do a smaller number of things. They could learn, they could get better at it and they could scale. I mean, that's probably the greatest scaled business I can think of McDonald's as massively scaled because sure it's is. efficient. It's They've got a process in place and they produce a product. It's very consistent. So same thing in your businesses, keep your advisors productive, think about departments and you can scale within each of these departments, but it's got to keep your advisors free. And I think this business will get easier and easier to run as we have technology developments, we can outsource more things. Your team is probably going to be Waited way more with advisors in the future, much less people behind the scenes. And just keep in mind, the need in America is growing. The number of people to help is declining. This is the greatest business to be in, but you've got to be ready for the growth and you got to be thinking differently about how you're going to grow. So a lot of people ask me, well, well, how do I get started with this and how do I grow? So what I like to do with people is to help them see some example organization structures. So what might your firm like five years from now, 10 years from now, that's really where we need to be going. And sometimes it's easier to see some examples of how other firms are built and and what they did and kind of align to a sample that works like yours. Then what you can do is work backwards and say, okay, this is where I want to be from there. Here's the hires that need to happen. So likely each year I need to make a strategic hire. I need to grow by this much. I'm going to bring in somebody here. I'm going to bring in somebody there or multiple people. That's what can lead you to building a great organization. And it's hard to do all at once. And, And you said it best earlier, John, it is harder to build this properly where it's scalable in this vertical thinking, not the lateral or horizontal thinking. It it is easier, to just add on horizontally, it's gonna to lead to problems down the, lo- down the road. It's a little bit more effort, but oh my gosh, when you get to the other side, that's how John Cutton can crank at a whole nother level. He's got that built out and he can add whole new beachheads around the country and scale to a whole nother level because he's got it figured out. He's got the departments, he's got the scale and it's duplicatable everywhere. So that thinking about it, those steps to go through it, start with the end in mind, work backwards and think about what's that next strategic hire that's going to take your firm to the next level.
0: Yeah, I love it, John. I love, I love the having the vision and then working backwards. One of the things that I see a lot from advisors is they're so in the day-to-day Right. Like you were saying they're they're thinking their role is to go bring on another client or win more business or roll over some more money because that's been their identity for so long. And there's nothing wrong with that identity if your desire is to have a wonderful lifestyle practice and make a half million or 800,000, or maybe even if you're really good a million dollars a year. But if you're really looking to scale a business, you have to be the CEO. You've gotta have white space in your calendar, right? Free time, so that you can be working, not in the business, but on the business. And when you think about working backwards, I believe that's where people get stuck. Mm, It's really overwhelming, John, Right? just think, I need an investment department and I need a client service department. And I need a financial planning department and a marketing department and so on, et cetera. And I think you're right. When you work backwards, you look at it and you think, where do I want to be in three to five years is how I always look at things. And then you determine based on priority, right, where is the greatest need or the greatest leverage? And it's about making that first strategic hire. And I can share with you, John, it might not be the right way to do it. But if I go back 15 years ago, when I started to think about having different departments in the organization run different kind of initiatives. That, that's been one of our keys to success, by the way. I couldn't agree more. It's the specialization. I've got folks that all they do every day is meet CPAs, new ones and existing awesome. ones. Yeah, And they get really, really good at that if that's all that they do. I've got an M&A team that all they do is talk to folks who are interested in potentially merging in or ultimately finding a successor got people who just do financial planning, so on, et cetera. They, they see over a thousand financial plans per year. They get pretty good at building okay. systems and processes and efficiency. But back in the day, I mean, I had almost like a Swiss army knife kind of guy. His name yes. was Evan Branfman. Who yes. you know, Evan's awesome. and Evan did it all for me. He was my financial planning department. <laughs> he was my marketing guy. And then as we grew, we brought people in. And I depended on myself and Evan to develop the skill set for that particular individual and that particular kind of discipline or vertical of the business. And the rest, as they say, is kind of history. So I think we're completely aligned. The question becomes, John, like, how much does it cost? When you start to think about whether it be adding a financial advisor or adding someone to run these different verticals, I think that the 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 reason advisors don't move forward is many times they don't want to make the investment. So do you have any kind of thoughts on how to structure compensation, what average compensation is for these type of roles, and maybe even where you find some of these folks?
1: Yeah, it's it's probably, this is one of the, I, I talk about this daily it's such a question mark for advisors. There's, I mean, there's some industry studies out there. I mentioned Moss Adams, I always get research fund investment news always publishes a study I buy and I, I you know, give to all the people that I work with. I think that the averages are really uh, helpful to start with. So I've got a lot of the different roles and a practice in the industry and what like the base compensation is. So when it comes to comp, we'll talk about base. We'll also talk about incentives and how that can lead behaviors and, and really, help you grow and and i think you nailed it john it's it's people aren't willing to pay and invest which is the number one problem i remember there was an old guard of top producers 10 to 20 years ago and they would all get together and they talk about how their people were overpaid they're paying their advisors on their team too much and you know what they're not the top guard anymore because all their people left The number one reason people leave is they're underappreciated and underpaid 40%. This is a crazy number. 40% of people out there, employees are actively looking for another job. So for those of you listening, look at your team, 40% are actively looking. They might seem happy. They might say they're happy, but they're looking. You can can keep people around by pay them. It's worth the investment. And I'll give you this uh, comparison of pain. The pain of paying someone a little bit more is far less than the pain of not having somebody. The gaps your team can have by not having somebody, it takes a long time to hire the next person. That is a much greater pain. So err on the side of generosity. So when you look at just different roles, I mean, your entry-level person in this industry is probably like 50,000. That might be, you know, receptionist, administrative assistant, maybe someone who's out of college who aspires to be an advisor one day. But then as you move up to more of these specialty roles of working in the marketing department or maybe in the planning department, you're moving up to 75,000 in comp. When you get more to the like advisor role is where you're cracking six. Six figures. Leaders of some of these departments are in the six figures range. When you get into like much higher level roles, like a COO, like a true operator running a practice, look, a real quality person that, I mean, think about this is chief operating officer. This isn't operations manager. This isn't operators, operations director, which is typically a higher level firm in, in you know corporate terms. A chief operating officer is an executive level position. If you want someone to really run your business, you're like 200 plus to really get in there. So you, you've got to be able to give it up. A lot of owners talk about how to comp themselves when there's partners, how does that work? And there's, I mean, we could do a whole darn podcast just on that, but you, you, I I think erring on the side of, of generosity is key now. So that's just some base. Let's talk about incentives and incentives matter. And it leads behaviors, as I mentioned. And I see the people that allow those on their team to grow through making more, through doing certain things. It really works. So with simplicity of advisors, if advisors are doing more with what they have, either what they brought in, or maybe you bought something and have them work it, or they're taking clients off your plate, give them incentives. If they grow with what they have, allow them to grow in the compensation. So bonus incentives really work in a lot of corporations. You'll see 10% of a base at your lower level. As you move up the ranks, you'll see like 30% of a base is pretty common. At like the top VPs, upper management, they're going to be maybe like 40, 45% of their base is their bonus potential, but you should give the opportunity to give it up. So if people are helping your business grow, let them participate in it. And probably one of the best incentives I've seen is rewarding probably the most profitable thing that can occur in this business is new assets coming in. Somebody forges you know, their own CPA relationship. Somebody's just crushing it with referrals and bringing in a whole lot of new assets. That's the most profitable thing in this business. So some of my favorite compensation plans have kind of a separate special incentive for if you bring in some new assets, we're going to give it up. And I see some practices compensating almost like a uh, an insurance firm will compensate on their products where they give it up a little bit more in the first year for the producer because they know they're going to profit in the long term. And so you should be thinking the same way. If someone on your team is bringing in business, give it up to them. Have a solid incentive plan that's very clear that the people on your team can win as they grow, as they bring in business, and they drive the most profitable things that you can have. Gosh, I mean, we could spend hours on this, but compensation is really critical. And if you can align this with your organization chart, these are some secrets to really scaling up, just like John Cutton has.
0: Yeah, I mean John spot on. Literally everything that you just spoke about as is what we do in our business and interestingly enough, it's what you found in the most successful businesses in the industry, right? So yeah. there's there's something to be said to that for that. I love what you said about 10 or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. Maybe you said how the top advisors are talking how they're overpaying everyone. John and I are kind of looking, not kind of, we're looking at each other on video as we record this and we're both laughing because, uh, it's true. It's what, it's what advisors were saying. And now they're, they're number 300 at their firm and they used to be number one because business owners, right? The biggest businesses are run by CEOs, people yes. who understand how to grow, how to scale a business, and how to create leverage. You know, John, this will sound like a really dirty word. I almost don't want to say it, but I'm going to. I remember, I mean, I'm dating myself, it might even have been back in the day when you were sitting in the classroom. I was running that, running classes, and I remember saying, and I would say this all the time, that In the wealth management business, you as a financial advisor make money off of other people's hard work. Now, that sounds mean, right? That sounds like you're taking advantage of people. It's not meant to be that way. And I don't think that's really what you're doing, especially to your point, John, if you pay people well, you reward the right behavior. You run a meritocracy, right? Actually reward people for performance. But that's the reality of it is each person who works in your organization should ultimately become a profit center to the organization. That's why you employ them, yes. right? No, no different than why someone who runs a machine shop goes out and, you know, buys another machine for a million dollars. It's to make more widgets more efficiently, faster. And if there's a million dollar investment in that machine, you're going to bet that that factory operator is going to make significantly more than a million dollars from his or her investment. And running a business, a wealth management business or a widget factory, there's not a lot of difference in that in the wealth management world. Technology is certainly scalable. To your point, it'll become more scalable over time. But the number one expense of pretty much every wealth management firm in the country is their people. Yes. And if you can develop your people and you can ultimately monetize, which is a dirty word, your people – that's how businesses grow and the quicker and more profitable your business becomes the better you could take care of your people the better benefits package you could offer the more generous you can be with 401k matches and pension plans and so on etc so i I get really excited when i hear the stuff that you're saying because i'm completely aligned to it and when you think about kind of the levels of compensation that you spoke about, I referenced this book that Dan Sullivan, the strategic coach wrote called Who Not How, a lot. When you find the right who, right? Yep, and John is is showing me that book, by the way. (laughs) uh, On the video uh, camera. But you've gotta pay who's well. And I think about my organization today, as we're rapidly growing, all we're doing, I call it just keep hitting the button, right? Because we have the systems and processes in place, and the people and leaders to scale the business. You said before, John, we go and we start a beachhead somewhere. We can scale that beachhead from zero to 500 million of assets in 18 months. We've done it once already. We're in the process of doing it again, and we're gonna do it again and again and again, because the systems and the processes are the same, All you need to be able to do is build those systems and processes. And once you build them, that's what scale is. You can almost create limitless growth, grow the heck out of a business. So you got me excited, man. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad this was a good subject for us, but John, we're running a little short on time here. What kind of closing remarks do you have? I think, I mean, I think everything you hit was super solid. And if I'm an advisor, Listening in, again, my theme a lot is how do you get from a million to four, right? Or two to six. I think I'd listen to this one several times because there's some really, really unbelievable nuggets in there. But anything you wanted to hit that we didn't get a chance to to talk through today?
1: Yeah, you touched on this. Everyone wins mentality. If that's your your mindset for everyone listening here, that's going to help you get to the next level. You are going to need others. To get to the next level there is a finite capacity that individual advisors can do i see them hit glass ceilings all the time and other people is is the key i heard a fancy term for this leveraging human capital that's a uh, really how you got to be thinking in in terms of really growing a profitable business based on others but others should win Your business should win. Ultimately, the client should win. If everyone's winning here, the sky's the limit and you can grow like John. Hey, I look forward to hearing about uh, all the successes out there for the listeners and looking forward to seeing people double, triple, quadruple, 10x growing your businesses out there.
0: Love it, John. Well, hey, as always, you are awesome. I appreciate you coming on again. I appreciate the partnership, the work that you're doing with my team and with, with some of our joint coaching clients is phenomenal. So thanks for all you do. I, I really, truly appreciate it. If any of the listeners want to find you, what's the best place to contact you, whether it be email or website or how do people get in touch with you?
1: Sure, our website is dynamicdirections-d2, dog in the number two, com. That's our firm's name. We partner a lot with Cutton Consulting, or you can email me directly, John, J-O-N, no H, at dynamicdirections-d2.com. Love to hear from you. We've got all kinds of you know, great stuff we'd be happy to send with you. And if you want to grow like John Cutton, we'd be happy to talk with you and help you build that roadmap to get there.
0: Well, I appreciate the compliments as always, Bud, and we wouldn't be growing at the rate we are without some of the great work you're doing with me and, and some of the advisors. So thank you for that. I thought another amazing, amazing episode, if I may, may say so myself, by the JONs. John, thanks again for uh, joining us. And for the listeners, if you know someone who you or you yourself might be an interesting guest. We're always looking for smart, interesting people who have smart things to share with our audience. So with that, I hope everybody makes it a great day and we'll see you on the other side.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app and we'll see you next week.